0: You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Tim Kent. Tim, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Tim, we're talking on June 16th. You have a show opening at Hollis Taggart that I'd, I'd love to talk about. Um, that's running through uh, through July. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about it? These are these are new canvases. These are Oil on Canvas, can,
1: is that correct? Yeah, it's, I mean, about 15 works that are going to be at Hollis Taggart, and it's a, they're mm. mid-sized works, and they're kind of completing a, a bunch of work that I've been doing for the last few years, especially coming out of pandemic, where it was, uh, everything became very much about being in the studio and spending my time working it within this very interior um space and uh, my studio is built so that it doesn't have any windows and it's two different rooms so it can go between these different rooms and of course I'm not getting a lot of sunshine and I'm not seeing a lot of things that are happening outside and it is quite an insular uh, space and so the paintings are rather private spaces that I've created in which these sort of little narrative events happen and that's kind of that's what I'm going to be showing there.
0: And so to to talk about these narrative events because I, I there's a preview of some of the work on uh, on Hollis Taggart I can I think see some of it um, unless that's older work these are scenes that look like they're within a kind of a, a mansion almost the, the, it looks like there's a kind of class consciousness or something like that to the to the scenes is that is that correct am I reading too much into these
1: no I think I think I mean that's always there I think one of the one of the reasons why I use these, these sort of grandiose interiors is because I had, I had experience at one point as an architectural painter and I go to these sort of stately homes in Europe and I paint these sort of houses. And, you know, of course all of them are in some form of uh, decay at this point, because what, what took, what, what it takes to build these things and maintain these things is just not possible anymore. and, as I began going through these different spaces, whether they're in sort of full presentable uh, state or they're, they are in ruins, um, you get a sense of what happened to these, what happened to these spaces, or at least I asked myself, you know, what happened to these spaces? Where did this wealth come from? How did they get there? And obviously, where did it go? And so I I put them, I, I based my paintings within these sort of romantic, uh, almost uh, sentimentally idealized uh, interiors, and then I try and create some sort of counter narrative that's happening with the works within them. So, um, in in the in the case of one painting called uh, the Print Thief, you know, there's these stately home, this stately library, and obviously someone has just rummaged through everything because there's stuff on the floor, and there's an impression or a reflection in the uh, in one of the glass bookcases of the, the possible thief, and um, they're just visual plays. You know, and so I'm also playing with sort of ideas of of, uh, of visual structures as I'm playing with this idea of a greater type of uh, wealth or power. If that makes sense,
0: it does make sense, and it's an it's an interesting kind of world that you're that you kind of came from or or, or are still in this this idea of architectural um, painting of rendering, uh, because as you said which is you know um, part of what's being addressed here what's happening with these spaces it kind of really struck me when you just said you know there isn't the kind of wealth that make, builds places like this anymore or maintains them right you need they need constant attention um which i didn't really think of but that is what's happening to all these huge old old mansions everywhere right that that you're that you kind of alluded to they're they're falling into disrepair because they're they're obsolete somehow. Even enormous luxury, luxury homes don't seem to make sense anymore financially or, or any other way. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's a, there's a larger, that's a larger metaphor happening there, which is that when nothing can be sustained for, indefinitely. And if these houses are just sort of representations of our idea, idealizations of wealth and power, And, you know, now we see them as sort of a throwback to a romantic period. And, you know, we have them in the United States all along Rhode Island or out in Long Island or up along the Hudson or down in the south of, uh, you know, uh, Mississippi. uh, All these sort of places that have these sort of grandiose statements or powerful statements are really just sort of relics that that are being taken over by the environment. And I think that kind of goes also to another thing that I'm kind of working with here is this idea of power and 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 where it goes and so i i do like to include things like power pylons or just sort of different metaphors for um uh, technology and industry uh, that are part of our visual field or visual reality today that we just take for granted and we don't even see but even that can't be maintained i mean look where we are today um with <laughs> with everything you know so yeah this this idea of sort of like uh I guess it's sort of like the failure of um, the failure of power, ultimately. And and I, and I think all the characters that I put into these paintings are somehow trapped in that dilemma, and they're kind of questioning themselves that. And there's an uncertainty there. I think that's that's one of the ways I I can connect to something that's happening outside in reality.
0: And how does that that, that particular point of view, which of course has been in your work for. Um, you know, con- consistently is is um, will be part of this show, and you know, it, it makes me think also, of course, that you know, when this work is brought to art fairs or others, it's it's often purchased by by just the power structure that you're critiquing. Um, this is, is is that correct, or do you not see it that way? I mean, we're, we're talking about wealth, we're critiquing wealth and where it goes, so to speak, and then we have Basel and art fairs, and it seems like. That's where it all is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of dynamics at play here. And I think like, uh, keeping the, uh, e- economics to one side for just one second, I'll, I'll go back to it in a minute, but I do think like, you know, this has been the whole relationship with, uh, painting since it's, since at least in the Western world, since its inception, right. Since it's been kind of used as a device of control. And it's always had this relationship to, uh, to the power because i mean at one point it was a very expensive process to make and you to get materials to do this whole thing to be a painter you had to be accepted within a certain level of society thinking about the dutch painters of the 18th century where they had these incredible guilds and not not anyone could just go into them you know uh and so we begin seeing that play out historically and there's always been that relationship to it economically i think the uh, when it comes to sort of uh who buys and why they buy yeah i mean I'm not going to lie, you know, it is at the end of the day it's it's a luxury good, you know, there's no two ways about that. It's, but that is that is if that is something that will always be some issue. I will always have an issue with it because I think there is a relationship to or an aspiration for the work to be recognized by people that purchase these things, but at the same time for me personally you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working all the time. And so when I do manage to sell a piece or two, that's almost like a reward for putting in the hard work. So there's, it's a complicated relationship. And I do think about it often, you know, and I, and I do think about how it affects me in, in many ways, you know. And I do think the paintings are part of that whole sort of process of uh, negotiating that too, um, you know. It, it, being part of, I read something the other day. I think it was in. The, it was called like the economics of art or something. Something my wife was reading, and it and it was talking about how the creative class in general is considered part of the this upper uh, upper percentile of of culture. And it's true. It's like anybody who's involved in sort of working with arts is already kind of not part of the manual uh, working base of of. An economic structure and you know I think a lot lot of times artists will tell themselves that you know I I don't belong to this many good artists don't belong to it but you know most of us who are involved in it especially in the city you know we're still part of it I mean we live in a city which is the, the most powerful city in the world it's very hard to sort of not uh not just acknowledge that as part of how how the art is made and what happens to it does that make i hope that makes sense it doesn't make sense of course
0: it, it it does make sense and and uh, in that in that um vein you know so this is we're talking in late june and, and the show's opening up it's a post pandemic show uh as as you said you were um you know it's it's been a whole shift during the pandemic and and of course economically all kinds of things are happening in the in the world now that are that are so new uh, so how, how is is the message changing for this show? We talked a little bit uh, off the record beforehand about these are all oil paintings, right? And these are kind of uh, a painstaking process uh, in in itself. But is there something that's different in this message in, in in a kind of post pandemic environment, given all that we've been through economically and, and otherwise?
1: It's weird because a lot of the stuff that I, I have been painting for a number of years now, was all sort of dire messaging prior to this. You know, it was all kind of, uh, very much about, uh, global power consumption, uh, geoengineering. Um, and again, sort of structure, the structure of wealth power. Uh, and I think going through the pandemic, w- what struck me was that I wasn't surprised to see any of this stuff happening. i, I was shocked at the scale that things had happened, but it's, but it wasn't surprise that we had a pandemic and it was too bad we had a pandemic and it, and and it's what has happened has devastated everything now we're, we're we're at the beginning of what looks to be a terrifying uh violent period and you know everything is going to be upside down and i think as i was making the show i'm trying to include ideas that are circulating and put them into uh into these paintings you know the paintings themselves look pretty gentle but i think there's also messaging in them that is directly addressing things like uh, the uncertainty of, of war uh on a global scale or the uh, uncertainty of uh power who 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 runs a country for example and i do put that in there and i do use ideas and imagery that is from uh from pop media so there are there are scenes taken directly from uh, the first encounters in in ukraine with the russian forces you know there are all sorts of um, ideas that are being taken directly from what's happening now, and I don't think, uh, if anything, the work has kind of become more gentler in its in its um, in its ultimate outcome than it was at an earlier place. But I actually think the works have a slightly um, more morose tone. I, I don't know if I should say that, but that's how I feel about that. Like much more yeah, more I like that. I think, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I think it's okay to say that. It's um,
0: you know, it's 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 true. It's 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 such a different time to to see all that in and everything that's changed. So the, you know, so the. I mean, even even the arc of wealth over the. Over the pandemic seems to have shifted dramatically somehow. Although, I, and I don't see it written about a lot, but just somehow wealthy people getting getting much wealthier, and and even in the art market doing so well.
1: Um, so, to, to so that's talk incredible. About, what, what what happened there is incredible. Like just the you know, from two thousand eight onwards, it's been insane. It's been really crazy. Right. Well, what what do you mean in this terms of just like too- the like like t- a tremendous
0: amount of wealth being amassed by. Right? A small group of individuals, is that what you mean? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I, well, I was specifically talking about the art market, but yeah, the larger sort of, uh, and I'm, like, I'm only speaking from my point of view and I'm not an economist at all, but the, the fact that we have, well, there's two sides to that, actually. I had a conversation with a, with a friend yesterday who was a, who's a, um, a writer and he, and he covers uh, a lot of different artists around the world. He follows, follows a lot of artists around the world. They said one of the interesting things is that a lot of these young NFT collectible artists are coming from outside of the U.S. and all of a sudden they find themselves, like they're in Brazil, and they suddenly find themselves with this huge amount of cash where they're suddenly putting it back into into their community. And that kind of struck me as strange because the way that their wealth is distributed is slight is not just sort of like, you know, of course the U.S. and these you know, the, the, the G7 or G8 are just sucking up huge sums of cash, right? But you also have these the sudden these sudden places where you're getting wealth at, at that scale, at that sort of global scale, going to people who've never had it before. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting way in which the wealth is being distributed. Um, but I honestly can't make head or tail of what's happening right now. I mean, you know, inflation is going up. All the you, people are still employed. Apparently, we had the, these uh, figures came out last week, which was saying that, you know, we have the highest unemployment rate in a year and a half. But it's—I don't know. I mean, I think we're in a very, we're in a very turbulent time, and just is not going to settle down anytime soon. Um, and, Absolutely. And how and how it gets distributed later is, is is up to be seen. Though there are other interesting technological projects that are happening, and uh, um, you know, my wife, who's a, who's who follows this very closely, said, pointed out the other day that you know there are projects with these sort of, like blockchains, that are allowing. Um, distribution of wealth to parties of people who are working on one piece of artwork. So that changes the dynamic of the uh, of the sort of art model where uh, the artist gets mo- 50% and the other person gets 50% or whatever the percentage is. Whereas the artist, as soon as they get the money, that suddenly goes to all the people that were helping with it, or you know, the, the one work of art is is bought by a collective. So the types of ownership, I think that that we're seeing is beginning to shift. but and, and that might only happen within like a small uh, experimental community, but those models are really important because those models actually have uh, uh, ripples and they affect other people and other ideas all the time. And the way in which uh, information is being traded now uh, between people and groups and organizations is incredible. And and I think what part of what is so scary, or not so scary, but so... Um, uh, befuddling is the, the intensity of of this exchange you know it's 24 7 it happens in microseconds uh huge huge chunks of uh in this case money go from place to place like at at, at the drop of a, a drop of a dime i mean it's 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 bewildering but it is bewildering It to, is sure it sure get, is you know yeah
0: so so in in this in in this new work i mean you're you're an oil painter we were discussing that um, a little bit before the interview but uh uh how is that working working in oil at that scale it seems that 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 in itself seems kind of um heroic for lack of a better word that 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 working the way you're working and the scale you're working with that medium
1: uh yeah i think well i do feel that it's still a rare thing. I do think making paintings is a very rare thing, right? And I think that when a when a painting, in my case, is made well, that's that's the unique that's the unique object, right? Um, but I do feel the pressure to to do a lot more experimenting with and learning about other other ways of making works that are much more technologically based. Uh, or that have a faster, uh, production so that the eyes can, the ideas can be exchanged at a a faster rate, at a higher velocity. But I don't, you know, but for now, as I finish up this show, I I can't go there. I have to like really finish this space up before I take a break and, and begin looking at things and learning about things and trying new things. Um, but again, you know, painting has been, has been a very, it's been like a salve to me throughout my life. And uh, it's a place I can go into to meditate within, and and that's something that's probably one of the, the reasons why I do it. Now maybe the subject matter can can change and alter, or that the uh, the approach to the painting can always change, the plastic application can always change, but that's that's nothing I'm going to concern myself with for the next few weeks, I think
0: and and the, the the imagery in some of these paintings, and certainly a past work, and it looks like some of the work that's um, in the current show coming up uh, at the gallery that we're discussing um, the figures the figures in the work almost seem like um, and I, and I imagine intentionally like, uh, like like ghosts these are these are something that's no longer here yet, still inhabits the space. Is that just my reading of it, or is it also? intended as a kind of um, ghost is perhaps a bad word but kind of you know but look like imagery of of not people that are there now or that were there but that somehow inhabit the space in another way
1: yeah i think that's yeah i think that's true i think they are sort of ephemeral transitioners within the spaces and i think i mean you could you could draw a pretty easy uh, connection to the idea that you know we we are here for a little a while and then we go and we have our time on the stage right and that's uh, and once it's up it's up and you know and that's probably the way i think about the way in which we inhabit our, our our different spaces you know your space where you are my space where i am and um and that's that's the record of being here possibly. Um, but there's also the I, I i do i do like the idea that there are dimensions that can happen that there are People that can come in and out of those spaces, that can flicker in and out of reality, almost like that—that that, that film uh, with uh, Brad Pitt, *The Fight Club*, where you know he kind of flickers in and out of the reality. that's sort of a, almost a sci-fi, a sci-fi-esque. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting. That's in interesting. Yeah,
0: a reference for, for a film too, because right, that's that's kind of is it there or isn't it there kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Certainly in, in *The Fight Club*, until you understand what's happening initially, you're yeah it's almost like a glitch or something
1: yeah and and i do think like and i do think we are kind of glitchy you know let's hope we're here in 10 years (laughs) right yeah barring a major glitch um it's great
0: talking to you about this i want to wish you well with the show i want to ask you one more question which is what are you reading at the moment what's on your bookshelf
1: yeah yeah, lots of my books that have not been read in a while. Um but what I'm I'm really into is uh you know, it's called 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City it's by uh KJ Parker. And it's about the it's about a, a siege uh which I at which I think is meant to be Constantinople probably around the uh the time when the uh the Turks invade the old uh, the old uh, city of Constantinople. And it's uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's a fun so that's,
0: six, that's, that's a great title. I mean, a great, great book. This is uh, 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City, and it's about, yeah. um, a, a, no, not, not medieval city. We're talking about a, a Roman city?
1: Yeah, it would be, uh, at the time, I guess it's, it's probably around, it's probably around, what are they, when do they in? about 11th century or 12th century? So it's probably around 11th, 12th century. Constantinople is, uh, the, I think it's still the seat of the, uh, the Holy Roman emperor at the time of the empire at the time. And then, the, and then it falls to the curtain. I think, I think what happens is the, uh, it goes, the, the papacy goes to France for a while, something like that. I don't really remember my history there, but yeah, that's, that's the story. And it's, it's cool. It's a, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's some good characters and, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for sharing that, Tim. And Tim, I wanna yeah. I wanna wish you well with your with your show. Um, there'll be links to it, so listeners can go to the show and see more from it. Uh, thanks so much, Tim, for your time today. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the Lives of the Artists, Architects, Curators, and More.